0: Well, how we doing, Mercy Hill? Good to hear, good to hear. It's good to be here. My name is, is Timmy, and I'm the salt director here at Mercy Hill Church. Uh, if it's your first time, I just want to say welcome. Glad you're here. And if it's not your first time, you probably noticed we got a packed house today. As Dylan said, yes, uh, LSU sent down a huge crew. So if you didn't know this, a big reason Mercy Hill even exists is because God has used this this church down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana called The Chapel. Um, They have a college ministry like we have. It's all company. Theirs is called Refuge. They have a church that's called The Chapel. And they're right on the edge of campus just like we are. And they have a vision to reach the next generation. And honestly, God used that church so tremendously in my wife, my wife's life, Ernie's life, our lead pastor, Dylan's, and many others in this room who decided in this last year, hey, we want to pick up our stuff and move to Cincinnati because it bothers us that there's a campus with 46,000 college students there and not a lot of local churches that are focused on reaching the campus. And so that's why we, we decided to move here. And, and uh, so if you're from Baton Rouge and you're here today, uh, hope you stay awake. I know it was a long light night last night <laughs> driving through the night. I talked to somebody over here said that it was horrible. He said he got, did you get an hour, two hour, hour? Yeah, well... I'll try not to put you to sleep, um, but yes, welcome. Uh, when I was in high school, I, I decided to go to the beach this one weekend with a few of my buddies, and we were in Destin, Florida, and one night we were playing hide-and-go-seek tag. Maybe you've played hide-and-go-seek tag. It's like, it's like tag, but you get to hide, and then your friends come find you, or, or your friend who's comes find you, and, and so we're playing in this, this huge area. It's about three acres big, and, and my friend Ben is, is chasing me. And he's faster than I am. I know this. I'm running as fast as I can. And the problem was, is, is, is I didn't have shoes on. And I was shirtless. And it was pitch black. And I'm running down this hill. And it wasn't like a grass hill. It was like a, a pathway that was asphalt or concrete. And I'm running as fast as I can. And what I didn't see, because it was dark, was that like at the very bottom of the hill, every 10 feet, there was, there was a six-inch step going up and then another 10 feet, a six-inch step going up. So you can see what's happening as I'm in a full sprint running for my life, and then I just smoke with my foot one of these steps barefoot, and instantly I'm in the air with, with searing pain, and I hit the ground and just some like mauled everywhere, and of course my friends were like, Tim, are you, no, they weren't. They were just laughing at me, and you're idiot, <laughs> and I'm bleeding everywhere, and, and look, like I'll show you later, I have scars all over my body from this moment that happened when I was a sophomore in high school, and, and the problem was, is that it was dark, it was pitch black, and I couldn't see what was in front of me. And today we're gonna be talking about how how believers, for Christians, were to walk in the light. Last week, Ernie kicked off this new series that we're calling Walk, and we're in in Ephesians 5, where where Paul says, hey, there's three ways that believers, those who have trust in Jesus, should now live, how they should walk. Last week, we talked about love. This week, it's, it's light, and next week, Dylan's gonna be Taking the section on how we should walk in wisdom. So, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Ephesians five, and uh, I think it's if you have if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under your chair or your neighbor's. You can steal theirs if you don't own a Bible. Go ahead and take it; our gift to you. Mark it up, and uh, I believe it's page five eighty six. If you're in one of those, and so we'll begin in verse seven, and Paul says, "Therefore, do not become." partners with them. All right, so the first thing we need to understand, and this is just a little pro tip, anytime that you're reading your Bible on your own uh, and you see a word, therefore, you wanna go look at what was said previously so that you can understand what it's there for, okay? Just a bonus tip, but uh, when Paul says, hey, therefore, do not become partners with him," we need to go back and understand, hey, what was said before so we can know what he's about to talk about. And so here's the deal. If we miss the beginning of Ephesians 5, then the rest of what we're gonna talk about today will not make sense. So last week, we saw that, that Paul commands, hey, for Christians, we are to imitate God because we're children of God. And he says, in verse two, he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for, up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, because of the work that Christ alone has done, how he's forgiven you, how he came and lived the life you were required to, but could not because you're broken and that he died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave. And that those who trust in him, he makes alive. You are a child of God instantaneously. And that's all God's grace in your life. Because of this, you're now to imitate God because the greatest way to show others love is by being like God. And then he goes on with the commands. He says, verse three, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not even be named among you as is not proper for saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, because these things, they're out of place, but instead, thanksgiving. So Paul's telling them, hey, hey, these things, they don't help love, they destroy love. So don't walk in these anymore. And then verse five and six, he gives another reason. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetousness, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so Paul, when he says, therefore do not be partners with them, he's referring to the people who are still dead in their sins in verses five and six. Those people who, this sin is their identity. Doesn't mean that just because they've done that, that's who they are, but this is their identity. They have not come to know the mercy of God. They have not looked to Jesus and trusted in him. And so now with this in mind, let's let's read our text for today. It's 7 through 14. I'll read it for it. It says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no parts in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we're going to break this passage up into three sections. Okay, I'm going to give us three words to follow along. So the first is avoid. The second is walk. And the third is expose. Okay, so our first section is avoid. And the first thing that I wanna point out is that the reason that we should avoid the things Paul's talking about is because of the gospel. This should be what drives us to live differently. Notice in verse eight, it says, for at one time you were darkness. This was your identity. But now because of Christ, he has made you light. And this is the believer's new identity. He says, walk in it, live in it. And something that you may notice, it doesn't say that we were in darkness, which we were. We were in darkness, but but it's more than that. We, we actually were darkness. This was our identity at our core. You see, when, when Adam, the first human, fell, he rebelled against God. The entire human race fell. He was the head of the human race. And when he fell, every single person who's been born since then is born in sin. Think about it for a toddler. Nobody, nobody teaches a kid How to sin. I watch it with my nieces and nephews all the time. They're like one and two years old. And their parents say, hey, don't touch that. What, this? Instantly, it's like, there's something in our nature where we we call right, wrong, and we call things that are bad, good. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that, hey, we were dead in our trespasses and sins before we were met by God's grace. Romans 1, that our hearts were darkened. And what Paul is telling him here is that, hey, what's gonna drive you to live differently is because of the work that Christ has done in your life. He's made you a new creation. He's made you light. And so, in verse seven, he says, hey, no longer partner with those who walk in darkness. And so I wanna talk about and be very clear on what this is not saying. Paul's not saying, hey, for Christians, we need to avoid people who are not Christians. That couldn't be more wrong, and that would honestly... Rob the gospel of one of its its greatest victories, All right, we, we shouldn't segregate in groups in these weird little holy huddles and be all about ourselves. But no, he's saying, hey, you are light now and I have given you purpose. And now you're to live this way. Maybe many of you remember, there's a story in Mark 5 where Jesus encounters this man who has who's demon-possessed, okay? And we come to find out that he has a legion of demons living within him. I don't know how many it is, but... It, Seems like a lot. And these demons were causing him to just torment himself, to cut himself, to harm himself. And the guy was without hope before he encounters Jesus. And Jesus casts the demons out the man. And it says that the man is in his right mind. He was healed. Okay, well, if you keep reading in Mark 5, what you see is that when Jesus goes to leave that area, the man runs to Jesus and begs him, please let me go with you don't leave. Let me go with you. And that makes, that makes logical sense, right? Because he's probably thinking, hey, before when I was without Jesus, these demons had control of my life. And if Jesus leaves, then they're just going to come back. But Jesus doesn't allow him to. He doesn't permit him to. I'll read the verse in Mark 5, verse 19. It says, He says, go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has made, how he has had mercy on you. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. See, Jesus doesn't allow him to because he had something better for him. He had a purpose for him to walk in, to go tell others about him and his goodness. But he doesn't send him alone. He sends him with a power within him. Guys, this is this is Christianity. We were like that before Christ. And the moment we trust in Jesus, his spirit comes to dwell in us and empowers us to live differently. And now we have purpose. And so the question is, how, how should we interact with non-believers? Well, Paul is saying not to avoid them, but to avoid partnering with them in their sinful ways. In other words, the things that they do that are evil and wicked Don't indulge in those anymore because those aren't good for you. That's not who you are. And so what were some of those things? Well, we read them. They're sexual immorality, all impurity, covetousness, foolish talk. But really, guys, this is is all sin. All of it. There's no room for that in, in the life of a Christian. It's not who we are. And Paul brings this up to them. Because the believers, right, they're still struggling with these things. And all of us here still struggle with sin this side of earth. But there's this tension of how do we handle it now? What should we continue to pursue now? And so let me ask you, and this is a good question to just reflect on, or a few of these. Um, when you hang out with people who, who aren't believers, people who don't know Jesus, if, and this is for Christians in the room. Do they see a difference in your life? Do you partake in the same things that they do? Do you talk the same way that they talk? Do they notice, hey, what's different about you? Because they should. Do you date the same way that they date? Are there people that when you get around them, you honestly become less like Jesus and more like them? And what Paul is telling them is, hey, no longer walk in this way, no longer partner with him in that, because that's not who you are. For some people here, this may mean that, hey, we need to be careful about who we choose to hang out with and when and where we choose to hang out with him. If I'm going to hang out with somebody who's going to, who's inviting me to do something that I know that I'm probably going to be tempted to do that's not good, then I probably shouldn't go. And you're like, well, that sounds legalistic. Tim, you sound like you're just throwing these laws out, but no, Paul's not doing that here. He's saying, hey, this isn't who you are anymore. It's not live this way so that you'll become light. No, God has made you light and now live this way. And we gotta quit calling. I said this a couple weeks ago, but we can't call holiness legalism because it's not. Being radically passionate about obeying all of God's commands is not legalism, but it's worship. You say, if you love me, you will obey me. And Paul saying, "Hey, this isn't who you are," and he knows that it's tempting, because of our human nature to want to continue getting close to sin and to get to the edge. And he's saying, "No, avoid that, avoid it." One of the uh, the most incredible things I've ever seen in my in my life is is the Grand Canyon. Many of you have probably seen it before. It's it's just incredible. It's it's this massive hole that. Just, it's just wild and breathtaking when you look at it and you're like, holy cow. And uh, I, maybe you've been there before. Just fun fact, like I got in there for free because me and my friends were, were broke and, and uh, I offered the lady a PBJ to let me in and she didn't even take it. She just felt so bad for us and told us to go. But um, <laughs> if, you, if you go to the Grand Canyon and you get like, when you walk up, I mean, there's parts of it that are just so steep and straight down. And what you'll notice is that there's signs everywhere that say, hey, avoid getting too close to the, to the edge. Or maybe there's parts where there's fences. Well, I came across this article this last week. And six years ago, there was this 29-year-old who immediately when he got there, didn't look at the signs, didn't avoid going close to the edge, and went up to it, and he fell 400 feet, and he died. And that was within minutes of him getting there because he couldn't avoid the temptation to go close to the edge. And the reality is, is this is often how we deal with sin. We love getting close with it. We love flirting with it. How close can I get? How close can I I know it is. Because there's a part of us, our flesh still really likes sin. And the way that we're gonna fight it is remembering the gospel and who Jesus is and what he's done. And now he's freed us here and now to no longer have to live this way. The next section is, is walk. He, then, he says, not only avoid this, but at the end of verse eight, he says, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Again, Mercy Hill, like, it's the gospel that drives us to live this way. He's not saying, hey, live this way so that you will become a child of light. But it's it's, walk as you are. This is who I've made you to be here and now. And so there's two areas that I want to talk about just practically how we walk. And one is, is on the vertical with our relationship with God, what that means. And the other is on the horizontal with, with others. And so with God, because we need regular rhythms where we get away and spend time alone with God. We often, if you look at the Gospels, you see Jesus do this. He would withdraw from the crowds and go spend time with his Father. And we should do the same. So for me, something that I try is, is I like the first thing that I grab in the morning, not to be my phone, but to be my Bible. And I like to have just time alone with God right there when I'm still in bed. Lindsay, she likes to go downstairs and sit on the couch and sip some coffee. And it would be good for us, if you don't, to create rhythms in your schedule daily where you spend time with God, where you get alone and pray, and you talk to him. And you read his word. Remember, Paul says that Christians, in in verse one, we should imitate God. And then look at verse nine, and he lists three things. And guys, God is those three things. God is light, God is righteous, and God is true. And so in order for us to imitate someone, we have to be around them. We have to spend time with him. We have to spend time in his word. And so whether you memorize it, read it, listen to it, if we're gonna grow, we have to spend time with God. And the other is, is stuff on the horizontal our time with people and others. As Christians, we're called to, to be the light of the world. God, God, uh, Jesus told his followers in Matthew 5 that you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world, that you should live differently. And look at Jesus' life. Like, he, didn't, he didn't just go around shunning others who were in sin and telling him not to do that, but he preached the gospel to them as well. And he told them the truth that, hey, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. We should live differently and love others as Jesus loved them and spend time with them. But at the same time, Jesus wasn't indulging in the same things that, that they were. Walking in the light looks totally opposite of walking in darkness. When, when, when I was in high school, I was friends with this, this, this kid named TK and, and often we would go to our football field at our school late at night. And, and I remember this one time, we, we were coming back home and we we're driving in his Jeep and there was this like half mile stretch uh, where this 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 row was just covered by all these trees and there wasn't a single like street light on it. So it would just get really dark. And TK goes as he's driving, hey, watch how dark, watch how dark it is when I turn my headlights off. But the idiot didn't stop driving, he just freaking turns his headlights off, and then and I'm like, dude, you're gonna kill us. What are you and you know, luckily he, he turned, but it was crazy, we couldn't see anything. Just imagine driving around Cincinnati at nighttime, all the hills, all the mountains, and you can't use your headlights. You would run into so much stuff, you would lose your license, your car would be destroyed. It wouldn't be helpful. And and Paul's saying, hey, avoid these things because they're not helpful for you. They aren't who you are. Another thing about light, guys, is that light symbolizes knowledge and it symbolizes purity. So one of the implications of this is that as believers, there's no room to hide sin in our life. There's no room for secrecy and deception. We need other Christians who know us and know the things that we struggle with and ask us the questions. So God, like Christians, men here, do you have other godly men in your life who know you, know the things that you struggle with, who you confess your sin with, who remind you of the gospel? Same for you women. Do you, are there other godly ladies in your life who know you and know the things that you struggle with and are asking you the tough questions that you need to be asked that maybe you don't really wanna be asked, but you know you should? And again, it's the gospel that allows us to have that because we don't have to pretend we have it together because Christ had it together for us. And now we're holy and blameless, but we need others to push us and spur us on in godliness. In verse 11, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. So some of your translations may say, have no fellowship. Like this is further than avoiding. He's saying for Christians, the darkness, it shouldn't even be something that interests us. It should be something that our attitude changes towards. We should begin to hate the things that God hates and love what he loves. We should hate sin. So again, reflect and ask yourself, the things that I consume, do they show that I hate sin? The things that I look at when nobody's with me. The music that I listen to, does it show that I'm interested or that I hate it? Our last point, And this is probably the most difficult for many of us is is that we're called to expose the darkness. You see, Paul says not only are believers to avoid walking in darkness, but we are to actively expose it. Look at verse 11. It says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when Anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from dead, and Christ will shine on you. All right, before we get into what exposing darkness looks like, I want to say what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like going around and telling people, hey, you shouldn't do that, and shunning them and going denouncing the things that they're doing. And, and like, that's, that's so fair that's what the Pharisees did, the religious elite of Jesus's day. They would go around and puff their chest out and look at others and try to find things that others did that, that they didn't do so that they felt better about themselves. Like there's no room for, the gospel doesn't leave room for that. It's not just denouncing the things that they're walking in, but it's shining the whole light of the gospel on them, throwing it on them, telling people who they are, and that the way that they're living, what that actually leads to, like Paul says in verses five and six, and then how they can have life in Christ. And like we see Jesus did this in the most loving, perfect way because he was God. He, he, when he was with the tax collectors, the prostitutes, people who, and all people are unworthy of God's mercy, but the people that, that culturally people would think are, are way not worthy of God's mercy and, and to be around Jesus, he would sit with them. He would love them would talk with them. He didn't partake in what they did, but he would preach the gospel to them and tell them how they could be made clean. Tell them why they shouldn't walk this way and they should trust in him instead and obey him instead. And this is hard. This is really hard. One of the things about when we hold things into the light and we expose them is that it makes them visible for what they really are. Imagine if, if every time you went shopping for the rest of your life, you had the shop in, the pit, in pitch black. So like you went to the store and, and whatever you wanted to buy, like you didn't get to see it. You wouldn't know, is this something I actually want to purchase or not? Like, is this good quality? Like, but when we hold something to light, it exposes it and makes it visible for what it truly is. And so Paul said, hey, for Christians, we are, we are not to be ambiguous about the things that are dark, but state them for what they really are. And man, is that hard in our culture today. This is why it's so important that we are in God's word and we test things to to it. Because culture says a million different things. But we have his word. And it's far more loving to expose the darkness that others are in rather than let them continue in it. Last week, I was at a climbing gym that I climb out here in Cincinnati, and I met this kid named Jack, and he saw my salt company shirt, asked about it. I think he had seen me at UC before, and, and uh, he, he, he begins to talk to me and, and, and ask questions about Christianity or whatever, and he tells me that he's been leading some Bible study. And so I, I begin to ask him, hey, like, like, so if you stood before God, and he said, why should I let you into heaven? what would you say? Because by the things that he was saying, I didn't think that he understood the gospel. And so he starts pointing out all the good things that he's done. But then he says, well, we could never really know for sure. And at that moment, I have the decision. Do, do I step in and expose the lies that he's believing? Or do I sit back? And, yeah, yeah, that, that's good, man. It's far more loving and difficult, but more loving to step in and tell them, hey, actually, I don't think that's true. Because in that scenario, really what you're saying is that is that your opinion is what matters most. But God has given us his word. He tells us, He tells us that we can know, and he tells us how we can be saved, and that's through Christ alone. And so for the next hour, I got to share the gospel with him. But it's not easy doing that. And sometimes it's easier to just cower back and because I've never had a life changing conversation with anybody that's not uncomfortable for me or them it's hard and they may not want to hear what you have to say for Lindsay she's lost and like this isn't just for non-believers as well When, when there's other Christians who are beginning to walk in darkness we're called to call them out and expose hey that's not how you should live anymore and and Lindsay lost one of her her best friends a few years ago because she began to date this guy who wasn't a believer. And Lindsay, said, hey, it's not wise to pursue marriage with someone who doesn't believe the same things that you believe, who doesn't trust in God, who has no regard with God. That's not smart. And the girl just totally pushed Lindsay out of her life. But Lindsay had the choice. Do I want to please God and be obedient to him? Or do I want to please man? And that may happen to us. And we're not responsible for that. So let me ask, our, ask yourself this question. Am I willing to risk the relationship for the sake of speaking truth and love and exposing darkness? If you haven't heard anything I said, hear this. The only reason we're able to walk in light and avoid darkness is because the light of the world hung on a cross in the dark. That's what it took to make us right with God. Maybe you realize today, hey, my whole life, I've had no regard for God. I've been trying to do things in hopes to earn right standing with God. Let me be very clear. That's not true. You see, what we need to be at peace with God, which is our greatest need, we need righteousness. But all of us from birth, we don't have it. We have sin. God, on the other hand, he has what we need, which is righteousness. And we don't deserve it, but we have what God hates and detests. And rather than aimlessly let us try to work our way up to have right standing with God and no longer be under his wrath, which is what we deserve for sinning against an eternal God because to sin against an eternal God brings eternal punishment. God looked at his only son, Jesus. He said, go. Go be the light of the world. Live the life that Tim's required to, but Tim could not because he's broken. Live the life that you were required to, but you could not because you're broken. And on the cross, God poured out the punishment that we deserve for our sin on his own son. This is the greatest Act of love. And Jesus conquered death, praise God. Three days later, rose from the grave. The true joy to the world. Meeting our greatest need, which is peace with God. And now those who look to Jesus and trust in him, they can have life. They can be made right with him. Have you understood that? Have you received him? Have you trusted in him? Because the moment we do, Paul said this in Ephesians 1. He said, and Jesus, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel, what I just shared with you, once you heard that and you believed it, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. The moment we trust in Jesus, we're sealed, we're declared holy and blameless and nothing can change that. And now it's go and live this way. Which is why Paul wrote chapters one through three before four, five, and six. Because in 1, to 3, he talks all about how we are saved, how we're made right with God. And now 4, 5, and 6, it's now in response to what he's done. Go and live this way. Religion is the total opposite. It's try and live this way, and hopefully God will accept you. And the order of that changes everything. So if that hasn't made sense to you, I beg you. Look to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge that you're broken, that he's the answer. And then for Christians here, maybe there's areas of your life where you realize I'm not being honest or there's sin in your life that you need to repent of and confess. Don't hold that with yourself. That's not who you are anymore. God has made you light and nothing can change that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this convicting passage. that shows me my need for your mercy, that makes me thankful that though I can never meet your standard, Jesus meant it for me. When I wanted nothing to do with you, God, you first loved me. That's the hope that we have as Christians. And that one day, Jesus, you're coming back and you're gonna unite all things under your name and there will be no more pain, no more suffering and you'll make all things new. I pray that this would be something that we, we meditate on as a church and think about and that that would be what drives us to live differently. What drives us to continue repenting of our sin and believing the gospel and wanting to be obedient to you, no longer live how we used to before we knew you. God, we are so desperate apart from you. I thank you that you sent your son, the joy of the world, that he saved us and made us right. And given us hope and purpose love you amen